0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the January edition of the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. We're going to start with an energy related article written by Alan Best. Is Colorado purplish enough to show red states how to do an energy transition? In 2019, Colorado ceased nibbling at the edges of the energy transition. It had a new governor, Jared Polis, who had run on a platform of achieving 100% penetration of renewables for electricity by 2040. Democrats gained control of both chambers of the General Assembly. Then the legislation gushed. Foundational was the law adopting economy-wide carbon reduction goals for 2030 and 2050. A critical early piece was defining the pathway for shifting from coal to renewables in electrical generation. Then, after the COVID abbreviated session of 2020, more bills yet tumbled, this time focused on shrinking carbon emissions from buildings by the gradual phasing out of methane combustion. Eric Blank, chair of the Colorado Public Utilities Commission, described as magic, the fast-changed economics that left coal generation the most expensive option and renewables the least costly at a time when most coal plants were deeply depreciated. On the reduction of natural gas, quote, we're struggling to figure out that path forward, said Blank in an early October interview. Among those scores of bills passed from 2019 and 2021, Blank identifies a handful, maybe six to ten, that were pivotal in giving state agencies, including the Public Utilities Commission (PUC), new directions and mandates. It's a shift from a reactive, backward-looking regulatory framework to a more forward-looking structure," said Blank. It will require us to see what is around the, bl- the next bend," he said. To assist the commissioners in looking around the next bend, the PUC provided each of the three commissioners one staff member to assist in researching emergency issues as the commissioner sees fit. They are working on transportation and building electrification regional markets, emissions tracking, water use of hydrogen, and many other topics. Blank recently hosted a session addressing implementation of Senate Bill 21-72, the PUC Modernized Electric Transmission Law, requiring transmission utilities to join a regional transmission organization or independent system operator by 2030. I just think Colorado has an opportunity to lead the way for Purple State model of how you do this right," said Blank. With new funding allocated by legislators in the 2021 session, staffing at the PUC has grown to more than 100 people. I have been pushing for this since day one because I thought it was the only way to implement implement the statutes, said Blank. Blank was confirmed as PUC chair in 2021, soon after legislators began their session. Driven by the new laws, the PUC is shifting from being quasi-judicial and quasi-legislative in its operation toward having a legislative role. Other state agencies, notably the Department of Transportation and the Air Quality Control Commission, have also been given mandates to execute the intent of new laws that collectively seek to dramatically reduce emissions. The other picture blank paints is even larger and describes Colorado as being at a unique moment. It begins with Colorado wind and solar capacity, neither superlative by itself, but together, perhaps unrivaled in the United States. The the economics of renewables are coming into focus here sooner than some other states, and I think we have an opportunity to create a replicable purple state model for decarbonizing at a reasonable cost. It involves everything. Electrification, advanced metering, natural gas planning, rules, battery storage, peaking capacity, transportation, and building electrification, regional markets, and enhanced regional cooperation. It's just an extraordinary moment in Colorado," he said. I just think that Colorado has an opportunity to lead the way for a purple state model of how you do this right. Is Colorado truly a purplish state? Before the November election that was the that was the oft-used description since 2016 though it has become more democratic. The November 2022 election solidifies that trend. An economist by training with a law degree blank worked for Western Resource Advocates then called Law and Water Fund of the Rockies before setting out to develop wind and then more recently solar For example, he developed the Comanche Solar Project located directly east of the coal generating complex of the same name at Pueblo. While developing solar, he saw prices plunge to incredibly low prices. Supply chain disruptions and other problems have interrupted the descent of prices, but those price reductions will again pick up within the next couple of years, he said. The economics of solar aren't quite so compelling in cloud-prone states like the upper Midwest or in the South. Blank emphasizes affordability of renewable generation in Colorado, distinguishing the Centennial State from California, the Golden State. We are not going to decarbonize at any cost here. We are going to do this in a smart, sensible, economically rational way that the technology opens up as the costs have fallen and as technologies have improved, he said, and the fact that we are having economic growth while utilities charge below average rates, that all helps. Blank sees Colorado consistently ranked among the top three to ten states by independent power producers, strategic plans of environmental foundations, and other lenses in a variety of subject areas. It's the ability to transition to renewables while keeping rates rising less rapidly than inflation may draw interest from slower to transition communities such as Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina, Georgia, and Arizona, he said. At the end of the day, the solutions to climate change don't need to provoke tribal warfare and partisan politics," he said. It's just economics. And now we turn to this article by Denise Payne. Little Shepherd highlights community engagement and outreach. If you've been in Crestone for a while, Chances are you have visited Little Shepherd in the Hills Episcopal Church. It's just north of Crestone Town Hall on Alder Street. The old log cabin at the back of the property is the chapel where worship services are conducted twice a month. The well-used fellowship hall is on the north, and the beautiful community garden is on the south side of the churchyard. Volunteers help Ginny Ducale with the community garden, which grows more productive more productive each summer. Much of the produce goes to the Crestone Food Bank. Volunteers usually prepare a lunch with garden vegetables and take home extra produce for themselves and friends. You may have come to one of the open-to-everyone meals prepared by Nick Navars and his crew of helpers. Nick has offered Indian, Mexican, Italian food and breakfast at the Fellowship Hall the last few summers. During COVID he prepared complete Thanksgiving dinners to go, distributed from the Fellowship Hall. The Fellowship Hall facilitates a Colorado South Central Seniors CSSC lunch on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, providing a space for Crestone Seniors to enjoy food and fellowship. The Little Shepherd offers Care and Share Food, an AA meeting on Mondays at 6.30 p.m., and a Crestone End of Life meeting at the Fellowship Hall. These and other community-based activities take place frequently at Little Shepherd. We, the Little Shepherd Congregation, joyfully host these events because we believe a church should be engaged in the community and use its resources to serve the community's needs. This is not unique to Little Shepherd, of course. Many churches and spiritual centers offer resources that make a significant contribution to their communities. We are fortunate to be in downtown Crestone, where there are few available venues, and it is our honor and privilege to offer our Fellowship Hall for community use. If you are exploring a variety of spiritual paths, we invite you to come to a worship service in our historic little chapel, the first and third Sundays at 2 p.m. The Episcopal Church is a progressive Christian denomination with a long, rich tradition rooted in scripture and ritual. It is also a warm, welcoming, inclusive church which affirms the dignity and equality of all human beings and welcomes all people regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation age, or any other reason. We celebrate the ordination of women and are open and affirming to LGBTQ plus people. We welcome diverse opinions and inquiring minds because we believe that whether we agree on a particular topic or not, we can have thoughtful and respectful discussions. Come as you are and join us in worship, fellowship, and outreach. You may find a spiritual home that gives you a sense of meaning, belonging, and purpose. At Little Shepherd, everyone is welcome, no exceptions. And now we have news from Crestone Charter School, written by Thomas Cleary. In September, I introduced Crestone to many of the new faces here at the Crestone Charter School, CCS. This month's article highlights others who have joined us. We have brought on several new specialists, electives teachers, classroom aides, support, and administrative staff. All seven lead teachers, our full-time secondary math aide, restorative practices coordinator, and lead custodian also returned for the 2022-23 and school year. Jordan Gonzalez is our new art and music specialist. She also has a vocal mentorship with a few of our high school singers. Jordan studied musical theater in Nashville, Tennessee. She has been teaching music and theater for the last three years and directed many musicals and concerts with the young singers of Palm Beach. She traveled the world as a performer and cruise director based out of California and Washington. Jordan is excited to bring her passion for the arts to CCS students. She prepared them for Halloween and Winter Festival performances and is guiding a variety of art Projects on school walls. Deborah Wallace is CCS food service coordinator with the Moffat School Kitchen. She has worked for the Moffat School District for many years. Deborah's mother and grandmother were Crestone natives, so she has a long history in this area. She braves the elements every day to serve breakfast and lunch to the students in Crestone as well as serving as the Moffat School. She She loves working in our schools and getting to know the kids. Deborah has worked in food services all her professional life. It is very hard work and we are glad to have her. Nina Gonzalez has lived in Crestone since 2004. Nina worked at Cirque du Soleil for two years as a costume designer and tour supervisor. Nina came back to Crestone in 2020 and is now the theater director at Crestone Charter School. She is glad to be back in Crestone and is excited to bring her theater experience to the students and watch the magic happen. This fall she directed an intermediate performance and a middle school play of Ms. Frankenstein within the first 10 weeks of school. The sound and stage were challenging and we were thrilled to have a great community audience turn out for the Santa interviews and Twas the Night Before Christmas in December. We are developing a theater program with Nina through the next year. Kristen Goosehurst began working at the school in the very early days of its inception with such folks as Karen Acker and Mark Micow. She has been a Music and Foreign Languages mentor for more than 15 years. Additionally, she is a substitute teacher at the Crestone Charter School and a classroom aide for kindergarten and first grade. She served many years as a substitute teacher at the Moffett Public School. This semester, Kristen is mentoring two high school foreign language classes and two high school music classes. Kara Lemasters is our new office assistant at Crestone Charter School. She moved here from Garland, Texas last year to be closer to family. A mom of four, she is excited to become more involved with the school to support the students and staff. Kara brings experience working as an office manager for a a truck parts company in Texas. Her energy and enthusiasm can be heard in her regular refrain of, of course, often followed by, sweetie, regardless of the question from staff and students alike. Jenny Orgard started in 2021 as an office aide and van driver. This year, CCS redefined her position and she'll be the office assistant. She works with the office manager, Lynn has on the financial portion of operating a school. She still makes time to drive the 2nd and 3rd graders to the library every other week. She retired from CDOC after 16 years and relocated to Crestone. She said she's delighted to work in the real world with an exciting student population and an upbeat and enthusiastic staff. Jenny has played a vital role in the transition of office staff and her payroll and payable skills support the smooth running of the Crestone Charter School. Neil Dreesen is CCS's new Information Technology Coordinator. He is a self taught programmer, coder, and web page designer. He speaks multiple computer languages. Having managed a variety of businesses, including setting up software and user interface applications, he is well suited to taking CCS to new technological levels. He has already supported upgrades in the phones, video surveillance, enrollment procedures, Wi Fi, and facility systems utilities over the summer he will be rebuilding the network from the ground wires up and revamping the audiovisual capacities in the classrooms where he lacks experience he compensates with curiosity a growth mindset and a willingness to dive into learning resources and asking for help from the district his calm and humorous outlook and can-do attitude are great compliments to CCS's existing work environment and culture and now turning to letters to the editor, why do I support becoming a town? One of our current property owner association board members frequently reminds us that Baca Grant started as a swindle and became a failed financial venture, only solved by increasing the yearly dues. Lot consolidation has made it impossible for the association to assess property owners fairly. If you have consolidated lots, you are saving money. Yes, you are reducing the overall population, but it creates a hardship for other residents with one lot. That would not be the case if we were a town. The board has been unresponsive to our concerns. After lot consolidation, creating a fair dues schedule was discussed. Articles from the association newsletter indicate past managers made it a priority to correct this injustice. Still, nothing has been done because the covenants make it so difficult to correct poorly written governing documents. Most property owner associations are a collection of like dwellings, i.e. condominiums or homes in the same price range or apartments. Baca Grande has the chalets, the grants, and five miles away a mobile home park in a different town. That composition would be governed better by a town board with the power to make appropriate changes to regulations. Property owners are hamstrung. The covenants and restrictions cannot be changed, modified, or amended without most property owners responding. This appears to be impossible. Property owners live all over the world. Many have not kept their information current. Many have no desire to participate. We could improve governance with a simple majority of registered voters in a town. The Baca Grand has had 50 years to become a fair and efficient property owners association, but it has failed. We must improve the mechanism for governance. This was written by Colleen Bennett of Casita Park. Thoughts to the Town of Crestone not, this is another letter to the editor. I would like to share some thoughts about embracing and resisting the transparency of the Crestone Town Board and President's communication and decision-making procedures. Fifteen minutes is the total time per month allowed for citizen comments at monthly public board meetings. This gives the impression that board trustees do not want to hear from their citizen electors the impression was demonstrated by the last two public meetings in which residents and town board trustees and employees gathered meetings that were not initiated by the board of trustees desire to gather information from the residents before making budget decisions the meetings were initiated by the anger of the town residents as a result of board of trustee decisions made without resident input i have heard as have many residents that board of trustees members I think the residents are incapable of understanding the making of a budget. I have heard, as have many residents, that residents do not feel their input matters or is given respect. My question is, are we to embrace this thinking or resist this thinking? I think we embrace the type of town meetings we had, where town leadership and town residents gather information and share input before budget and policy decisions are made. I think we embrace a reasonable allowing of time for a citizen input. I think we resist these town meetings being scheduled after budget decisions are made in non-transparent settings. I think we resist limiting time for citizen input that gives the impression that the town board does not want to hear the input. If we do this, we may find a way for the town residents who are resisting paying for the board of trustees' mistakes that they don't want to pay for, to embrace the town board's mistakes they are willing to pay for. This means we resist not being available for town meetings, and we embrace being available to learn from our elected trustees who are willing to share town issues and hear residents' input. This was written by Dudley Pace of Crestone. And a third letter to the Baca Grande Property Owners Association Board of Directors, we noticed that you did not reach your quorum for the last election. An obvious decision by the Board of Directors would explain this decline in membership voting. We have lived in and supported this organization for over 34 years financially and through 22 years of solid volunteer service. If our volunteer time was added jointly, we have volunteered for the entire 34 years we have lived here. That the Board would decide to change our long-standing policy of allowing those of us who pay our dues by the month to no longer be able to vote and then complain that a quorum is unachievable is both ironic and insulting to our intelligence. Association management communicated to members that a quorum for the last election could not be attained. Might this have something to do with the stroke of a misanthropic pen that disenfranchised how many of us who pay dues by the month consistently all year long? We have not missed an election in 34 years until the last when we realized there were no ballots in the envelope. You don't get to have it both ways. I brought this up to a board member whose thin defense was that someone who ran for the board had paid dues up to the election and when they lost, ceased to continue to pay dues. What is this decision-making by petty one-upmanship? This is counterproductive behavior which undermines membership participation at best and unworthy of the deliberation we expect for our continued financial support of this organization. I would also like to take this moment to admonish the practice of relying on legal counsel and their exorbitant fees to quote-unquote remedy most of the problems that a 10,000-acre development manifests. Oversight committees by our peers were once established to deal with these management inevitabilities which proved both cheaper and more humane. Many of us moved here to consciously work with our neighbors to settle disputes. What a pity to elevate disruptive, punitive practices as a solution. This was written by Mark Jacoby and Christine Canali. And now turning to the One Hand Clapping Column written by Tom Alfred Demers. Is God Still Laughing? Quote, A world without love would be no world, End quote. That's from Wolfgang von Goethe. God's laughter opens quite a can of worms, and I certainly don't have the last one. Or should that be worms? Is the universe optimistic or pessimistic, or neither? Is that a dumb question, or one worthy of consideration? If God is optimistic when the sun is out, or only on days when the IRS sends you a refund check, then we are not walking the same path. Apart from one's personal ups and downs, one's preferences, one's happiness or despondency, there is a reality, a cosmos ticking along with its own virtues and values, a vast context within which we are held, an earth and sky that came into being independent of anything we did or did not do. I want to say it was a gift, but there was nothing personal about it. Existence is not a reward, it simply is. It makes no sense to debate the existence of God. If the question had an answer, we would all belong to the same religion. As it is, we've developed multiple answers to that question, each with its own rules and prescriptions for how to live, behave, and earn salvation. The Buddha's wisdom was to avoid the matter entirely. I'll stick with Jimi Hendrix. Excuse me while I kiss the sky. The law of Abraham and the law of attraction both point in a useful direction. If we commit ourselves fully to any goal, unseen forces will arise and aid us. Our projects will succeed. Goethe said as much. He also said, if you've never eaten while crying, you don't know what life tastes like. Goethe, like Shakespeare, was a man for the ages. He also said, The greatest thing in this world is not so much where we stand as in which direction we are moving. Forward motion, giving ourselves to goals we fully believe in. These are critical in an optimistic universe. Why? Because they put us in step with the boundless forward energy of creation. Taoism speaks of much the same thing. In the darkest days of the Holocaust, Viktor Frankl found reason for optimism. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, he wrote in Man's Search for Meaning, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. The purpose Frankel saw in those who found meaning in a death camp was to love and serve others. May the coming year be filled with life directions that stir your heart and fill you with purpose. And a quick look at the calendar. Soil Sango de Cristo February Speaker Series will be February 1st from 7 to 8 p.m. The guest is Michael Jones from Jones Farms Organics in Hooper, Colorado. The topic is regenerative agriculture and surviving the drought. Please RSVP on the Soil Sangre de Cristo website to re- to receive the Zoom link for the virtual event. Their website is www.soilsangredecristo.org. And on February 3rd, we have Shubai's annual Spring Purification Sampai from 6-7pm, to ushering in the Spring with our annual Spring Purification Sampai. The ceremony will begin at 6pm. If you would rather join us here in the sanctuary, please call our office to reserve a seat and please arrive 10 minutes early for the Sampai. And the Town Here to Listen session will be held at 10 a.m. on February 4th. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.